Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Let me hear you. Are you here today ready to dive into God's word? And I want to welcome those who are joining us online. Thank you guys for being here, um, whether you're joining us live or maybe it's Monday or Tuesday or Friday, whenever you might be watching this, welcome. And uh, my name is Matt Ritchie. I am uh, honored to share with you this morning. I'm going to invite you to turn, turn it, uh, in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1. And uh, we're going to pick up part two of this series, Runaway Prophet. I also want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 over in the New Testament. Put your thumb in there. We're going to um, be in both passages. Um, but let me start by saying this. Last week um, when I spoke, I, I shared a, 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 a story at the end of the message, but some of you may not have heard that, so I'm gonna retell it. So when my daughter was about two or three years old, um, her name's Carly and uh, she's eight, going on 17 now. And uh, it's hard to wrap my mind around that. But um, anyways, she... Uh, was playing outside, uh, mom was running some errands or at work, I'm not sure which, it was just me and her at home. And she made a new friend outside in the form of a giant, scary, hairy looking spider, okay? So I saw that thing and she was like, dad, dad, look and how cute it is. And I was like, what is wrong with you child? And I just <laughs> smashed it and she melted into tears. I crushed her soul. And I began to try to explain to her in her young mind that what I had just done was for her good. I don't know what poisonous spiders look like. They're all crazy to me. And so I was just trying to be a good and loving father, destroyed her friend, and in a sense, uh, sent a storm into her life. Now, how many of you have ever experienced storms? Okay, maybe it was something uh, a little bit different than what my daughter would have termed as a storm. I just killed her friend. But um, maybe you've been in a thunderstorm. I remember as a kid back in Western Pennsylvania, there was um, some tornadoes that came through. Um, man, that's an unsettling experience um, to be hiding in your home. We had a basement uh, under our house and it was the place we never went. It was dirty, dingy. It was right out of a scary movie. And uh, we were huddling down there waiting for the tornado to pass. Um, I also uh, went to Bible college in South Florida, right on the coast. Anybody ever been through a hurricane? few hands. It's an unsettling experience to be in a storm. And maybe you've just been driving down the road and there's been a ton of snow or a ton of rain and it's hard to see. It can, it's disorienting. It slows you down. And storms often do damage. Storms often do damage. But um, we're going to talk about um, a different kind of storm that God used in the life of Jonah. Now, just as a recap, I wanna just remind you that last week we talked about how Jonah knew the call of God. He intentionally ran away from the presence of the Lord. He rebelled intentionally. This was not like an accidental uh, rebellion. He knew what he was doing. He knew what God had called him to do and he went the opposite direction. In fact, we have a map that we used last week. I'd like the guys to show 
show that briefly. Um, he was supposed to go to um, the modern city of Mosul. Back then it was called Nineveh. This is in modern day Iraq. And uh, he was supposed to go from Jerusalem to Mosul, but then he decided to go all the way to the west uh, towards Tarshish or what many scholars believe might be the modern city of Seville, which is in Spain. And so he was literally going as far away from the call of God as he could possibly get. And so God intervenes. Guys, you can take that picture down. But God intervenes and he does so with a storm. So let's pick up our reading in Jonah chapter one, verse 11. The men on the ship turned to Jonah and they said to him, what shall we do to you? That the, sea may be, that the sea may quiet down for us, for the, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Now just pause. How many of you would be like, yeah, that's my go-to number one option, okay? Um, when I'm in the midst of a storm, I don't know if you've ever been on a ship. I've, I haven't really been on the sea very much, but I can tell you that the ocean is the last place I want you to throw me, okay? There's creepy things in there, sharks, all kinds of stuff. I've seen Shark Week onto the Discovery Channel. They're not friendly, okay? Um, no matter what they try to tell you, they're there to eat you. So. I don't wanna be in the ocean, but yet Jonah, his first response is, yeah, God has sent this storm. Um, it's because of me, I'm running away from him. And uh, what you guys should do is throw me, throw me into the sea. Now, the normal response I think most of us would have, hopefully would be, hey, let's turn around. You need to take me back to Joppa where we started. Let's just turn the boat around. I'll get an oar, I'll help you. Let's tell, show me how to turn the sails, whatever, let's turn around. And that's what repentance is, right? Repentance is turning around. When we're going the wrong direction, when we're rebelling against God, he wants us to turn around and to follow him. But Jonah is so set on not following God that he would rather die than, than to do the will of the Lord. And so he literally says, throw me into the sea. In essence, he was saying, I would rather die than do God's will. And that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty rare, I would say. But I would like to remind you that our will and Jonah's will is no match for God's will. <laughs> just, remind, just remember that. So let's keep reading. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. They were willing to repent. They were willing to turn around, but Jonah was like, nope, not going. So they're rowing, but they could not overcome the sea for the, the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, oh Lord, now they're praying, okay? You notice that? <laughs> Jonah's not praying, he, he, not yet. They're praying, the pagans, those who do not believe in the, the almighty God, they're calling out to him, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish 
to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. We're going to talk about that next week. But this is something we look at this and we're like, this is a bad day, but wrong. The storm is actually designed for something good. Now, just a sidebar, one of the ways we can tell that this storm is from God is because those that were experiencing it turned and gave glory to God. You notice that? It says, it says, they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God will always get glory from, the, from his storms. But there are some storms that we experience that are not from God. And I just wanna pause and just uh, do some distinguishing between these storms that are not from God and the storms that are from God. We know the storm is from God because it started with a call to Jonah. And then it says in, in verse four, it says, God sent a mighty wind. And the same word that um, is used to, where they said they hurled Jonah into the sea, it literally, the, the original language literally means that God hurled a storm at, at the boat. And God appointed this great fish to swallow up Jonah. So all of this is clearly in scripture of the divine will of God. But there are some storms that are not the divine action, direct action of God. And some of these storms can be a result, well, the, the first kind of storm is a result of the fact that we live in a fallen and broken world. We live in a fallen and broken world. Now it's a result of the fall of man all the way back, starting with Adam and the sin of Adam and Eve. And as a result of that, the scripture is clear in Genesis that we lived in a, live in a cursed world. We live under a curse of sin here in this natural world. There's disease, there's brokenness, there's cancer, there's car accidents, there's freak accidents, there's tragedies. And Jesus even addresses these things in Luke 13 where there was a tower that fell. And there was a tragedy where this tower fell and it killed like 18 people. And Jesus specifically addresses this and he says, it's not because of their sin. This was not a punishment from God, but this is a result of some natural things. When we make mistakes, when there are things done incorrectly, buildings are incorrectly built, or there's other things that can come into play and accidents happen, tragedies happen, disease happens, hurricanes, tornadoes happen. God is big enough to use them, but they are not always from, from his direct action. They are a result of a natural and fallen broken world. I'll give you an example of this. Like um, when I was 11, my uncle Jim, who we were a very close family, he was just 46 years of age. And we got the call, uh, or my dad got the call early uh, one Friday morning, I believe, maybe it was a Saturday. And he had just been taken to the hospital with a heart attack. And we had already gotten the news that he did not make it. He passed away at just 46 years of age. And I have since looked at, uh, I've wondered about, you know, I've asked that, that question, why God did you allow this to happen? And I may get a, a better answer than this when I get to heaven, but I have seen, it did damage in our family. His only daughter was 18 years old, hadn't quite graduated high school yet. In fact, um, he had just experienced her senior night the night before or that week and missed her prom just a few weeks later and then missed her wedding a few years later. And like they have grandkids and all this stuff and he missed out on all of that. I've kind of wondered like, God, why? And God, I know that if 
If I understood everything that God understands, I would know that he did the exact right, right thing. So I trust that. But the damage that was done, that as was a result of that, I'm confident it's not God's, it was not God's will, it's not God's plan. It's a natural result of living in a fallen and broken world. People die, things happen, and God doesn't get the blame for those things. There's another kind of storm that, that is a result of sin, but it's someone else's sin. Our actions are, no, are not independent of each other. Our actions, every single thing we do has a ripple effect with all the people around us. You've probably heard this, a simple act of kindness can result in another act of kindness and it has kind of this ripple effect. The converse can be true when we're rude or when we're mean or whatever, it kind of has this same effect on other people. They get frustrated, then they act frustrated and then it kind of has this ripple effect, right? And our actions are not independent. And so when people sin, it can touch our lives. Sometimes we experience storms, not because of our sin or because of just a, a fallen and natural broken world, but we experience uh, storms because someone else sinned and rebelled against God and the consequences are far reaching beyond just to them. They touch families, they touch friends, they touch relationships, workplaces. And we sometimes experience that. Again, this isn't God's storm. Then there's a third kind of storm that is a result of our personal sin. It is a result of our rebellion. It is a result of our running. And so when we rebel and run and we disregard what God is calling us to do, there is often damage, there is consequences, there are wounds. And though God can heal those wounds and though God can use any storm and bring about and get glory from it, there will sometimes be scars. In fact, I would, maybe even submit to you that there will always be scars. It doesn't mean healing won't happen or can't happen, but God's storms don't do damage. But when we sin, when we experience other sin or others sin, there can be damage. I would also say that there is sometimes a storm because we are trying to follow God and, and the enemy is opposed to what we are trying to do. You know, we as a church are trying to move forward in this, in this age and, and to share the gospel and to shine uh, the light of hope to the, our community. And that can be met with resistance sometimes. And, and, and often um, in, in our world, we experience the opposition of the enemy, not because uh, we're doing anything wrong, but because the enemy just simply doesn't like what we are doing or trying to accomplish. In fact, Ephesians 6 reminds us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And there is a spiritual realm. And I believe that at the end of the age, when the curtain is rolled, rolled back, we will see what true reality is behind what we see in the physical realm. But I believe that there is a spiritual opposition to the believer. And so there are times when we will experience storms and hardship, not because we're far from God, but because we are close to him. So don't miss that, don't forget that. But then there are storms that are just a result of dumb choices, foolishness. <clears throat> Anybody do anything dumb this week? Okay, just me, one or two other hands. Anybody ever do anything stupid? Just, just one time, okay, now we're being honest, okay. <clears throat> if I just don't change the oil in my car, 
if I just don't maintain my vehicle, I just drive it, uh, just tires and gas, but I don't put any oil in it, don't get it serviced, don't get it maintained at any point, what is going to happen to that vehicle? Eventually, it's going to break down. Eventually, things are gonna start to go wrong. And so when I go out that morning to start my car and it's not working properly, I can't use the hashtag, not today Satan, okay? Because that's not his fault. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. It's a result of my foolishness. And so it may not be sinful. It may not be terrible in some ways, but because of my unwise choices or lack of planning or what have you, there can be storms that come our way just because we do dumb things. But those are not the storms from God. The storms from God, you can always tell that it's a storm from God because it doesn't do unnecessary damage. In fact, this is the main thought for today. God's storm, God's discipline, if you will, is always for my good. God's discipline is always for my good. If you have your thumb in Hebrews 12, I'd like to turn our attention there. Um, we're gonna pick up the reading in verse five and I would just like to reference these verses. And the context of this is a loving father who is disciplining his, his son or his children. Now, um, how many parents do we have in the room? Parents? How many of you have parents? Okay, so you had a parent at one point. Okay, good. So how many of you have ever experienced discipline from a parent, a mom, dad, authority figure of some kind? Now, I, I experienced discipline from loving parents. That did not always mean that I liked it, okay? But we experienced we experienced training, we experienced discipline, we, we experienced some curbing of behavior. Um, and it's all for our good. The same is true spiritually. And here's what the writer of Hebrews has to say about how God views discipline for his children. Verse five, and if you have forgotten the exhortation that, addre that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now I looked up the word discipline in the, in the Greek and it literally means this is in the context of training a child, training him on how he should behave, how he should act, um, molding his character, molding his, his abilities, his skills, developing those. Um, and it some, sometimes it does come with, with uh, discipline um, of a reactive nature, but it, it, it doesn't always mean punishment. It can mean training. And so do not re disregard the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For the disciplined for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 
And for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those have been who have been trained by it. How many of you had parents that had those sayings that you just despised and you said, when I become a mom or a dad, I'm never gonna say those to my kids. Anybody make those? We, we've heard these, um, do this task, whatever. Why? Because I said so. And I promised myself that I would not say that very phrase to my children. But you know what I find myself saying about three times a day? Why do I have to pick up my toys? Because I said so. It's too hard to explain like this is for your good and your character and you're gonna think, you know, all that stuff. It, just because I said so. How many of you heard this one? Um, you will thank me, you will thank me later. <laughs> now my parents actually didn't say this too much, but I had friends whose parents told that. And like, I, I know people have heard this and I'm sure my parents said it a few times here and there, but we understand that principle. And this is the principle that actually God is saying to us here. It says, it may not be pleasant now, but later it proves, it, it yields peaceful fruit. In other words, he's saying, you'll thank me later. And I would just like to acknowledge that the discipline of the Lord, the storms that we often endure, let's just acknowledge they're not pleasant. They're not pleasant. No one here is saying you should just enjoy it. It should be fun. Put a smile on your face, get happy, you know, just love the storm. We're not saying that. I'm not saying that. I don't believe God is saying that. He's acknowledging that it is unpleasant. It is painful but he's asking for you and I to trust him and to believe that he is allowing this for our good. And there are two kinds of ways that God can use storms. And the first one is this, and this is not the one that we read in Jonah, um, but this is one of the ways God will use storms. First of all, he will use a storm to be proactive in his discipline. He will use a storm to be proactive in his discipline. And this, this is a means to maturity. And again, this is not the type of storm or the type of discipline we see in the life of Jonah, but there is a proactive discipline that the Lord will allow to come into our lives or will um, begin in our lives because it's for our maturity. And I've already touched on parenting, but you understand this, when kids are little, you have to train them, you know, you have to potty train them. You have to teach them how to eat with silverware. Have you ever seen a three-month-old a, a three eat spaghetti or maybe a, three, maybe a six-month-old? I don't think a three-month-old is ready for spaghetti. But, you know, you see the picture of the kid and he's got the, the bowl dumped on top of his head and the mom's just like, oh, isn't he cute? And we take a picture and it's like, no, that's a mess. That's a giant mess. And so we need to train that. If I was doing that now, my wife would be, she, well, she wouldn't have married me. But um, <laughs> the point is, as we mature, there are skills and things that should grow with us, that should change with us. We wanna teach our children to respond with respect and clean the room and do the chores and all the, all the things. And we understand as parents that it's for their good. I remember one of the things my dad decided to try and teach me was how to drive a stick shift. Anybody had this pleasure of learning to drive stick shift, okay? So um, when I was about 16, um, state of Pennsylvania didn't allow you to get your permit till you were 16. Then my parents didn't wanna pay, pay an astronomical amount for a 16 year old to be on their car insurance. So I had to wait a few months, but I finally got my license 
And my dad had an old Ford Ranger, I think it was a 1989 Ford Ranger, five speed, little four cylinder thing. It was super fun to drive. It was real, had no traction. And like, if you had any kind of snow, you could fishtail that thing all over the road. It was super fun to drive, but I never wrecked it. But when I was first learning to drive stick, that was what I learned on. And my dad was like, okay, you're gonna learn this. And so we had a few practice runs. I forget how we started, but I kind of basically had the hang of it. And we started driving out on the roads. And I remember one particular day, it was me, I was driving, my little brother who was six years younger than me, he was sitting in the middle seat. And then my dad was in the passenger seat and we're driving uh, to my grandmother's house, probably, I'm not sure. It's about a 25 mile drive. And we came to an intersection where there was just a two way stop. There was no light, not a four-way stop. So there was traffic flowing either way. And so you just kind of had to pick your opening and it was pretty busy at this time of day. And so there we were sitting at the intersection and a car was coming and it turned on its blinker to turn right onto our street, which provided an opening for me to, to go and to, uh, I had the right of way to go. So my dad said, go. Well, what's the hardest thing about learning to drive stick? It's getting used to like that whole taking off thing, right? Where you let the clutch out and push the gas at the same time. And I had stalled it a few times. It was kind of in my head and I don't know what I did, but I just, I, I gunned it, took off. It was going fine, got out into the traffic, dropped it into second gear. And we have talked about it for years since and we still don't know how this happened. But when I went to shift from second up into third, I perfectly slipped it right back into first gear. No grinding, no, no clunking, just push the clutch in, boom, right back into first gear. And that, the front end of that truck, like it just dove and the RPMs went up and I essentially came to a dead stop right in the middle of traffic. Now my dad, in an effort to train me and to help in this moment, he gave me some really good instructions. And, and I quote, this is exactly what he told me. He, he turned to me and he said, Matt, you're going to kill us all. <laughs> he said it a lot different tone than that. But in that moment, that instruction of you're going to kill us all, I, I found it really helpful. Actually, I, it was quite the opposite actually, but Somehow, I think he reached over and grabbed the gear shift and somehow got it and we took off. And then there was like a 15 minute argument of, I don't wanna drive anymore and you embarrass me. And you know, like, you know, you have to drive and I'm pulling over, no, you're not and blah, 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 blah. So I remember a, a, it was probably a month or two later. It wasn't that long later. I, I had gotten a little bit more comfortable driving it but I still had this kind of fear of stalling it in traffic. And I remember saying, dad, can I go to my friend's house? And it was a, a little bit of a drive maybe a 30 minute drive. And he said, yeah, you can, but you have to take the stick shift. I was like, dad, why can't I take the other family car? Nope, you're not taking that. We need, they didn't need it. They weren't doing anything. He just wanted me to drive the stick because he wanted me to learn it. And I remember literally like shaking. This is like the first time I'm driving it by myself without my dad there and, and all that. And he forced me to go through that and I made it to my friend's house and I remember thinking to myself, hey, I can do this. A few years later, when I was in college, I had a friend who got a job doing valet parking for rich people. And uh, he was parked, I, I kid you not, 
he was parking cars at a garden party, okay? And uh, these uh, ladies were having a garden party and they were super rich and he was parking their cars for them so they could park right by the door and just walk right into the house. And he was, he couldn't drive stick. He was so scared somebody would pull up and have a five speed. And so he begged me to come help him with this job. And I was able to go and sure enough, a five speed showed up and he's like, Matt, please park this car. I can't drive a stick shift. You have to park it. And so I made like a hundred bucks in an afternoon between tips and everything else. And that led to a whole new job that I worked all the way through college where I made probably a few thousand bucks to help pay off student loans and bills and all that kind of stuff. And see that skill, that training, that discipline, if you will, to push me into something I didn't want to do had a benefit for me. And God's proactive discipline for us, he will allow us to endure things. He will allow us to go through some things. He will send a storm, if you will, because he knows that ultimately it will be for our good. He knows that ultimately it will bring us to a place of maturity. And he simply asks that we trust him in that process. And, and we also know this, a, a child without discipline, we're doing them a disservice to not train them, to not curb their misbehavior, to not tell them right from wrong, to just give them whatever they want. We understand that that's gonna actually do greater damage. It may be pleasant in the moment, but we understand that long-term that is gonna do more damage. And so discipline today may be unpleasant, but it's not damage. Discipline today will lead to maturity. And the same is true with us and God. The second way that God uses storms or uses discipline, it, it is reactive. It's not proactive, it is reactive. And this is this kind of storm that God sent to Jonah. This kind of storm is a means to our repentance. This kind of storm is a means to our repentance. And there are times that God will send a storm that is intended to turn us and it is a response to the personal sin that I previously touched on. When we intentionally rebel against the call of God, a loving father will intervene. A loving father will intervene. Uh, maybe some of you have heard of this concept. I've never experienced it, but some of you have heard of this concept of an intervention where a group of people gather around a close friend and they kind of warn their friend of whatever they're doing or whatever they're involved with. And the, the whole point of that is to intervene because they care about their loved one. They care about their friend. And they call them through a crucial conversation, which is zero fun at all for anyone, but it's motivated by love. You know, over the years, that as I've been the student pastor here, I've had teens that have come through our youth ministry and they will disappear for one reason or another. Um, maybe they just stopped coming or maybe they graduate out. Um, but this has happened to me probably once or twice a year for about 12 straight years. But on a Wednesday night, usually early before youth group starts, I will see someone walk into the building that I haven't seen in a while. And it's always, it's always, because they're in the middle of a storm. They're in trouble. Mom and dad found out, there's a court date, something is gonna, they're dealing with consequences they had no idea would come their way and they are in the middle of a storm and they are looking for some help. In our sin, when we sin, 
God will allows, he will allow maybe legal authority, parental authority, circumstances to form a storm that is designed for us to repent. It's designed for us to turn. It's to, designed to call us away from what we're involved in and to change course. God won't let us be okay with our sin. He loves us too much to let us stay in our sin. And this is what God is doing with Jonah. He's sending a storm. He is intervening and it's not fun, it's painful, but it's meant to return us back to him. I also wanna just pause here and say, um, there's a difference between admitting our sin or confessing our sin and turning from our sin. And it is good to acknowledge our sin and to acknowledge, acknowledge our failures, but that is not enough. And sometimes we can get together with a, with a group, a small group, maybe it's an accountability partner, what have you, and we have discipleship here at church and we, we have these connections that are so good for us. And it is good for us to acknowledge our sin and to be honest and say, this is where I'm at or this is where I've been. But that is not the end of the process. There is another step, which is to turn away from our sin. And I would also like to remind you that it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to do this. God has gifted us the power through his Holy Spirit to be different. I talked about this with our students um, just on Wednesday night, we we're talking about the Holy Spirit and I tried to think of how I could um, illustrate to, the, to them. And so if it worked on them, I hope hopefully it'll work on you. So can, I'm, I'm five foot nine, I can shoot a three pointer at about 11% and uh, I am fairly slow and out of shape. And two or three times up and down the basketball court, I am about ready to go into a coma, okay? If I told you um, that I, it was my goal by the end of this year to become an NBA basketball star, not, not just a bench warmer, I wanna be in the commercials, I wanna be MVP, is that gonna be possible by the end of the year? Is that possible by the, by the end of my lifetime? If I had a decade to work on this, is that possible? She says, yes. <laughs> I like you, let's, I need to talk to you afterwards. So I'm five foot nine. You have to be like 6'10 to be in that league, okay? I can't, like Alan back here is short for the NBA and he's 6'8". So I can't just magically turn myself into a 6'8", three-point shooting, dunking phenomenon. It, now, does it do any good and I'm gonna win some people over right here. Does it do any good for me to bring the greatest basketball player of all time? I'll admit it, Michael Jordan, okay? If I stood him right next to me and I said, Michael, would you train me how to be a basketball player? Can, can you make me into an NBA star? What do you think he would say? It's impossible, I can't help you. There's some other people I'd rather work with, but you, you can't do it. Now I can study his, his moves, I can study the playbook, I can watch all his highlights, I can learn from his mistakes, but if you show me the, every single play from Michael Jordan's basketball career, you can even give me his workout routine, you can give me his preparation, you can give me his nutrition, I will never be like Mike, ever. So what good is it 
for us to put Jesus up here as the model and then say, okay, here's Jesus. Here's everything he did. Here's everything he said. Now go live like him. I think some of us look at that and go, that's impossible. I can't do that. That's the same as Matt trying to be like Michael Jordan. Except the scriptures say that the spirit of Christ can be in me. Now, I know this is unbelievable and I know this doesn't make any sense in the physical world, but if somehow the spirit of Steph Curry could come inside of me and I magically had his speed, his hands, his shooting ability, his release, his accuracy, then I might be able, I'm still 5'9", but I might be able to not embarrass myself on a basketball floor. But we know that's not, that's, that's not possible. But what is possible is that the spirit of Christ come inside of me. And if that is true, then I am enabled to live like Christ. And some of you are like, that's impossible. In the physical it is, but with God, all things are possible. It's what he promised. It's what he said would happen. He said, if you are in me, I will be in you. I, we, we will be, he will give us his strength. He will give us his power. And so when he asks us to turn away from our sin, it's not just, hey, I did it. I went through the desert. I didn't fall to the temptation. Neither should you. No, he gives us the ability. He gives us the strength to turn from our sin. But you know what? Sometimes we need a reminder and that reminder can be a storm. We can be sure of God's discipline. We can be sure of God's, dis it is God's discipline because um, God's discipline proves that we are his child. Verse seven in Hebrews, he disciplines, he treats us as sons. God's discipline, God's storms reminds us that we are his children. God's discipline also is an expression of his love. He disciplines the ones he loves, verse six, and chastises every son whom he receives. Thirdly, God's discipline assures us that he is for our good. All of this discipline, all the things that we experience that are designed to turn us from repentance or to, to grow us in maturity, they are for our good. So how are we gonna respond? Are we gonna respond with submission or are we gonna scheme our way out of it? Anybody try to avoid a punishment from mom and dad? Oh no, I didn't do that. Or maybe you went up and put on 17 pairs of underwear, I don't know. But like you schemed your way out of the punishment. Are we scheming our way out of God's discipline or are we submitted to it? Are we enduring the storm? Are we enduring God's discipline or are we complaining about it? Are we in a position of gratitude or appreciation for God's discipline or are we bitter? You know, there was a, a man named Walter Henriksen and he tells this story. I can't imagine um, dealing with this as a father, but let me just read you this story because I think it illustrates the kind of love that God has for us and maybe shows us a little bit of how we can respond. Walter says this, he said, when my six-year-old was dying of leukemia, the doctor had to run a large needle through his thigh and into his bone to draw out the bone marrow. 
I held my son in my arms during the procedure and as the pain mounted, he looked into my face asking, it hurts so much, can't you make this stop? I assured him that it was essential that the doctors go through with the procedure and he said, okay, squeezing his little arms around my neck. As I listened to him cry in pain, I prayed, oh God, if my son can trust me, a fallible, sinful man, when I tell him no, help me to trust you when you refuse to remove my pain in a time of testing. God's discipline is always for our good. And the reality is we are all damaged. We're sick, we're broken, and we need healing. And often God will allow a temporary pain to bring about eternal healing. That is still love. That means God is still good. And God can be good and trustworthy even in the times of our storms. Now, I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna pray. Next week, we're gonna look at Jonah's prayer from the belly of a whale. But if you find yourself in the midst of a storm, I would challenge you to just think about this. Is this a storm because of my own sin? Do I need repentance? Is this a storm that God is using to grow me to maturity? If it's God's storm, then there is a next step. If it's not God's storm, if it's a, a result of just a natural fallen world or other sin in our lives, if there's unnecessary damage, if it's an opposition to the enemy, God can still use those two. God can still walk with you through those two. It's not like there's just one kind of storm that God uses and he is faithful and he is faithful to us in all. And let's trust him for that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the encouragement we hear today. Lord, as we walk through a broken and, and painful world, oftentimes we are confused by the storms that we are in the midst of. Lord, I pray that you would give us discernment in those moments to recognize why the storm. And Lord, if it is from you, I pray that our response would be to turn from our sin if that's what's needed. But Lord, in all things, may we trust you knowing that you can bring about something good out of anything. Lord, you are a big God. You are a sovereign God. You're an all powerful, mighty God. But underneath all of that, you are a good God, even in the midst of storms. And Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts, help us to trust you for that fact. In your name I pray, amen. As you go from this place, just a reminder that Northwest University is here. They are different from Northwest Nazarene University. They are up in Spokane, Washington. Trey Wagner, Pastor Key's son, attends there. If you're a young person, you're thinking about um, college or something, or you'd like to know more parents, stop by their table out there. Um, they'd love to chat with you. Thank you so much for your kind attention this morning, and uh, we'll see you back here next week.